0: podcast. I am here at Cleveland Whiskey Distillery, and uh, you can hear the you hear the distillery going in the background. We've got some proprietary technology that's going on behind us, and the guy behind all this is with me today. Please introduce yourself uh, to everyone listening to this.
1: Uh, my name is Tom Lix, and I'm the founder and CEO of Cleveland Whiskey. Awesome, and Tom. You've got, uh, you have got you guys are kind of
0: unique in the way that you guys produce whiskey. You're, you've got a proprietary technology. You, you, you're a technology company. You've done a lot of different things that go against the grain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pun intended, in yep. the wood. Uh, talk a little bit about what makes you guys different, why you're in Cleveland, how you ended up in Cleveland. Like what, What's mm-hmm. your story?
1: Uh, well, you're right. We are... Uh, I mean, we're a craft distiller, but we're also a technology company. Uh, You know, we're sitting here right now in our library, or at least we call it our library, but it's full of bottles. We've got hundreds of different experiments lining the walls uh, where we've tried different things and different approaches to making whiskeys and gins and baiju and rum and all sorts of other spirits. Uh, Plenty of things that haven't worked out, but plenty that have and are doing really well for us. I mean, at this point... Uh, not that medals tell the whole story, but I think we've got about 117 or 120 medals, 50 of them gold, double gold, platinum, best of show. Uh, You know, so some of the things we're doing are are unique, but they're doing well. Um, You know, it's interesting because a lot of people sort of say, well, you're one of these companies that works on making whiskey faster. And, and it's true. We we do make it faster, which allows us to experiment much, much faster as well and to a lot, do a lot more of them. I mean, imagine a, a traditional distiller that makes something and, uh, you know, you put it in a barrel. You might try it after two years, sit in the barrel and say, well, that's promising. Let's... Try it again. We tried it four years, tried it six, maybe at eight years. You say, you know what? That tastes pretty good. Let's make some more. Yeah. And uh, with us, we've got an approach where we're constantly, every week we're trying things. And we put them through tasting groups. And we, you know, plenty gets thrown away, but it also leads us down a path that, that where we're at today, where we have... Uh, you know both bourbon well bourbons rise weeded bourbons that, are, that we finish with woods like black cherry wood and sugar maple and apple and hickory um, uh, no sugar no artificial flavor no uh, it, it's it's just something that you know when you taste it you say, okay, yes, this is a bourbon, but it's but it's there's something special about it. there's something unique and different about it. I'm not trying to make the same thing that everybody else is making, uh, but we do have a pretty simple mission statement. Uh, uh, we've had, uh, you know. Board of advisors that have told us all the time we should have a better mission statement. But our statement is uh, every day make good whiskey and do the right thing. And we try to live up to that. And uh, uh, I, I think it works for us. Yeah. And the,
0: and the wards and, and everything else, it seems like, are paying off in that sense. Again, like you said, wards don't don't tell the whole story. Right. Um, but uh, essentially what you're doing is aging it faster by pulling more of these flavors out of the woods Faster in a way, right?
1: Well, I, more aggressively, aggressively. I think you know what's interesting if you if you open up a barrel, break down a barrel after it's been sitting for six or eight years, and you drill a hole into a stave, you know, from the inside out to see how deep uh, the moisture goes. It's only going to go in a couple of millimeters. It doesn't go in very far. And and during the course of years, it's cycling in and out of that wood as you have changes in temperature in the rickhouse and changes in pressure. It moves in and out, but it's simply Going back and forth in that that small set of surface area, um, uh, we use wood that we cut, that we hand select, that we cut to a certain size and shape, control for surface area and moisture content and weight and a few other variables, uh, and and put it in a uh, essentially in a bath inside a, a pressure capable stainless steel container, and then apply pressure variations. Uh, it's a highly oxygenated environment. We move pressure, uh, you know, fairly high, drop it into a vacuum. Fairly high pressure, drop it into a vacuum. Squeezing the pores of that wood. Um, and so that when you take that wood out, when you're done with it, you can drill into that wood. And you notice that you're going much further into the wood. Mm. So you're getting more flavor. It's, it's actually a more sustainable approach as well. Because we're using less wood to make the equivalent of something ah. that is in a barrel. Um, but... Really importantly, is that we can now use these other woods. And, you know, people I, I know have tried building barrels out of walnut and sugar maple and, and black cherry, but generally they leak like a sieve. They don't have the pore structure that you really need, which is why we have oak barrels today anyway. They were designed as storage containers, things that you could fill up. They would hold liquid. You could roll them down a dirt road or up onto a ramp onto a ship. And it was only when somebody realized, hey, if we kept our wines or our spirits or our alcohol in these barrels for an extended period of time that they would taste better, then they became a flavoring vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, 60 to 80% of the flavor comes from that spirit sitting in the barrel over an extended period of time. It's not that the barrel makes it special, it's the wood that makes it special. So we've simply found a way to use that wood more efficiently and more effectively and, um, uh, in a way with more purpose.
0: Yeah, is there is there anything, and trying to play devil's advocate, because yeah. I know you've thought about these things for people thinking about it. Um, when, you, when you try to pull things more aggressively, are there other things, have you measured other things that come out in the wood that doesn't come out in say a 10 year?
1: Well, so the interesting thing is that we found, because we did a lot of chemical analysis in the beginning, And uh, now a lot of it's simply based on taste and aroma and whatever. But in the beginning, we were looking at the profiles and we looked at the chemical profiles and the signatures of a lot of the best brands that are out there now. And there was one that was sort of puzzling. We were getting a couple of different flavors in some of the older brands that we weren't getting in our finished products. And I was thinking that was a deficiency, something that wasn't working right. Hmm. But as we dug deeper and we brought in some biochemists and, and chemist, chemistry PhDs and, and had people look at it, it turns out that what was happening is in those older whiskies in the barrels, the wood in the barrel was starting to degrade over time. So it was giving off some off flavors because of the older wood yes there's a lot of good things happening but there's also some flavors that if you could extract them from that process you would well we don't get them because we don't we don't take that much time we don't give the wood a chance to degrade and the wood that's in the older barrels is starting to degrade just a little bit now that in itself is a little controversial but that's what we found
0: so uh, th- so some people like the d- the taste of degraded wood
1: well I, I wouldn't say that I, I think the in, in, in total and in sum, the positives coming out of that ten-year-old barrel are better than the negatives that are occurring. But if we can get the positives and eliminate those negatives, yeah. that's a good thing. Sure, it's always a good thing. Okay, well that makes a lot
0: more sense then. But are the in the chemical analysis wise though, there wasn't anything that was in yours that was not in
1: theirs? Uh, no, right? Because we're using the same raw material. Sure. So, I mean, it, it, I'm, whether I'm using, oh, you know, especially when I'm comparing traditional. Uh, 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 products it's all oak so when I'm doing the oak comparisons yeah now if I'm using other woods yes I am getting some different flavors but that's because the wood is different yeah so but otherwise you wouldn't expect that there would be any differences otherwise
0: no absolutely not and how has the uh, the whiskey community you know greeted you with this i mean what what have been the the critics which there always are and not like we always <laughs> listen to them but uh how has that been well
1: perceived? you know i i mean not surprisingly because change is difficult for any industry and and a lot of the sort of more traditionalists uh you know we've we've been called our share of names and you know we've been branded as heretics and we've sort of embraced that uh you know people have said that what we do is sacrilege and and uh but that was in the beginning. I think now, we've been in this now for you know a decade, and I think as time has gone on and, has, and as more of the critics have actually sampled what we're doing, I think we're, we're slowly turning things around. Doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're giving us glowing reviews, but in blind taste tests, where it matters, we do really well. Yeah. So here's the other thing that I think is also important. Because of our pace of experimentation, what we make today is better than what we made six months ago. And that in itself is better than what we made the year before that. So I'm not trying to recreate a recipe that's been handed down through the generations. I'm trying to make good whiskey every day, make better whiskey every day. And and, and I think that, again, somebody who may have tried our very first bottles That quite frankly weren't as good as what we're making today, I think they would definitely see a difference and it's a positive difference.
0: How does that, what what do you do that's different than through experimenting? Different pressures, different vacuum, I mean, yeah. So
1: so it's all, in a way, it's almost the the, um, purposeful environmental effects. So again, we're not using the environment to change temperature, to change humidities in the House, to change the, the temperatures, the dwell times of the temperatures. We're doing all that through purposeful experimentation. So all of those factors, and they all come into play. Uh, the time itself is almost insignificant, and we like to say here that time or age is irrelevant, but it is the pressure differences, the amount of time you keep it at various pressures, the the uh, the rate of oxygen infusion, um, the quantity of wood that we put in there, the shape and the size, and the moisture content of the wood that goes in. You know, obviously a... Um, a, a what we call cubes of wood because we control for surface area. They're carefully measured and carefully cut. One moisture, uh, sir, uh, moisture content changes how much alcohol they're able to absorb and then give back, so we control that as well
0: yeah wow, so very control- i mean this is a science it really is project yeah I mean, like in the, in the coolest form yeah. um, so then like to take a left turn here wh- how did you get into this like you came from <laughs> Boston, I know, and to yeah. Cleveland, but like yeah, you yeah go into how do you got into this
1: um, you know I, I i learned distilling this is going way back i I learned distilling uh uh over fifty years ago when I was in the navy, mm. and uh, I went to uh distilling school. It was for making fresh water and salt water, not for making alcohol. But then I was lucky enough to be stationed on this old destroyer. It was about to be decommissioned. It was a reserve ship. The chief petty officers pretty much ran it most of the time. And when I got on that ship, this chief comes up to me and he says, Kid, obviously it was a long time ago. He says, Kid, you're going to be my apprentice. And I follow. he just told me to follow him. I followed him. We finally wind up in this one space, open up a hatch in the deck. Climb down this ladder, and down there in the bowels of the ship, he has a series of stainless steel tanks that he's fermenting fruit juice from the galley—sort of a sugared Kool-Aid. You know, really wasn't a fruit juice, but that's what you called it. Yeah. Uh, he was fermenting that, and he had, um, you know, the old destroyers. Uh, everything was run by steam, so you had high, you know, high. High-pressure steam running the turbines, the uh, electrical generators, all the auxiliary pumps. So your steam lines going through all the spaces. He tapped into one of those for a heat source. You know, imagine him just drilling into this yeah. high-speed, uh, high-pressure steam line, and then you, to cool the living spaces and. Uh, And the pumps and all the auxiliary equipment, you use seawater that was being pumped throughout the ship as well. So for a cooling source, he drilled a hole in one of those lines as well. So now he had what you really need. You had a fermented product, you had a heat source, you had a cooling uh, source. So he had put together and cobbled together this uh, uh, still, and he was making what he called a hooch, not only for our our ship, but all the surrounding ships as well. He sort of had this thriving business, the... uh, uh, I never say what ship it was on. I'm, sh- I'm sure the, uh, you know, any sort of the retribution is, is far expired. And I did not yeah. tell this story to uh, uh, President Obama when he came through and dis- uh, toured our distillery. So oh, I told not. him a lot of other stories, but I figured telling the commander-in-chief that face-to-face was not a good idea. Yeah, he idea. goes, hey, yeah. uh,
0: what yeah. other distilleries yeah. do yeah. we have on our boats? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's. mean, So he must have been a pretty smart guy, though, to kind of, like, figure this out then, huh?
1: Yeah. Uh, well he didn't figure out the technology I mean distilling is pretty basic it's pretty straightforward we've been doing it in many ways sort of the same way for for generations now I mean you think about uh, you know the fifth generation master distiller at some of these things and and it's fairly straightforward there's certainly an art to it but also a science Uh, and uh, the basic concept is relatively simple the execution is a lot harder so I have great respect for the people who do it Um, but uh he gave me that sort of idea and then i read this uh this was now fast forward decades later i uh i read this article about the growing middle class in china and how they were buying affordable luxuries and i thought about that a little bit more i said you know it's probably not affordable luxuries it's conspicuous affordable luxuries things they can share with their friends and show off a little bit so i did a little more research and uh, I've, I, I wound up after the service, I went back to school, I got a doctorate in, uh, in business information systems and marketing systems. And uh, so I have an interest in that. And, and so I'm studying this and I realized that one of the things that was growing in China was the import of uh, uh, scotch and bourbon. And so the middle class was going up and the consumption of these products was going up. There it is, conspicuous affordable consumption. So I thought, well, if that's occurring in China, you've got a growing middle class in India and in South America. And uh, this was almost prior to the resurgence of brown spirits here in Europe and, and in this country. But I said, there could be a tsunami of demand for this. And you can't crank up production like cornflakes or computer parts. The way whiskey is made, it's a slow, painstaking, patient process. And I'm not that patient a person. And I said, there's there's an opportunity here. So uh, I started experimenting in my basement. Uh, I blew up. probably close to a thousand mason jars every weekend i was going and getting filling up the back of a pickup truck with ice and dumping it into my basement i'm sure my neighbors well my wife thought (laughs) that at some point the police were going to knock on the door and uh and say uh you know your neighbors have called in they think you have a meth lab down in your basement because you heard these little mini explosions every time i blew up a jar and i was playing with different different things, I looked up all the the previous patents that had been applied, what had worked, what hadn't worked, and I had some ideas. And then, because I'm not a real chemist, but I'm sort of an amateur chemist, I made some mistakes that a real chemist wouldn't have made and, and really stumbled across some promising approaches to this and ultimately that led us to the technology that we have today and wow. what we use today.
0: Wow, so did you have some chemists that came to, to, to help you generate this? Not in
1: the early stages. I mean, we've had people come sure. on board and have been uh, you know part of it. Uh, afterwards, but it's really my amateur chemistry, which has gotten me in trouble before. Sure. And, and, and like in fact, amateur well, well, let me, t- let me tell you another little story. Yeah. So this is sort of, uh, a little bit of background when, when I was a, a, a very young kid, uh, I, I, I'm really not sure how old I was eight, nine years old, something like that. I remember that Christmas, I got a chemistry set for, um, for Christmas. Now, chemistry sets back then were different. I remember they all had bottles of mercury in them, for instance. Mm. All the kids who got chemistry sets, because we didn't have video games back then, you, you right. know, that was a, a favorite uh, gift that year. We all come back into uh, uh, school after Christmas break, and we all had these little dark spots on our fingers because we had poured out the mercury on our kitchen tables, no less, and pushed it around oh, and yeah. wiggled and did all these things. you know. Um but I had got a chemistry set. I also got a model rocket ship. It was made out of galvanized metal. It was about two feet tall. It wasn't meant to fly. It was meant to sort of sit on the shelf. And it was sort of a, a science fiction-y, you know, Big fins, the hmm. whole deal. And But I'm this young boy with a chemistry set and a rocket ship. And I thought I could make rocket fuel. So yeah. that's what I wanted to do. My, my parents went away. They took my siblings. They left me home alone. That was a big mistake. So yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I went in the basement, took everything down there, had everything ready, realized I needed a pot to do this in, went back up to the kitchen, I'm looking for things all over the place, finally spy this one pot up on top of the cabinets which was unusual in itself but also made me want it that much more right it had a lid on it so I had to get on a chair to get on top of the cabinets and then I pulled the chair up got on the chair again to get the pot brought it down the basement and I'm now throwing chemicals together oh, from my chemistry side. we also had this old home with a gas hot water heater that was sort of finicky the flame would always go out so there was a box of wooden matches next to this hot water heater so now I'm this eight-year-old boy with a a uh, chemistry set a model rocket ship and a box of wooden matches so I'm mixing things in throwing in um, you know lighting these matches throwing them in mixing them and I'm running out of the chemicals in my chemistry set nothing's working and I said okay I know there's powders and liquids under the sinks and closets I start pulling everything out and finally at one point I just poured something in I don't even remember what it was But I poured something in, and it was an agglomeration of all these other things anyway. And these big, fat, white bubbles start popping up and giving off smoke. And I'm like, yes, I've invented rocket fuel. So I slapped the lid on. Now... You know, your, your listeners are probably guessing already that it, it, it's, a, it's a pressure cooker. And it was a pressure cooker. I didn't know what a pressure cooker was then. It was up on a top shelf because my mom had discovered there was a slight crack in the lid. Oh. So she thought it was dangerous, and it was. So I put the lid on this to hold on to those bubbles, ran to the other side of the basement. I was underneath the sink getting more of whatever I was looking for, and I woke up in a hospital room. It turns out that the pot did explode from the pressure it sent shrapnel throughout the basement. I was under the sink, I didn't get hit by the shrapnel, but the hot water heater did. There was a small explosion of some kind, caused caused some sort of, you know, concussive wave or something that knocked me out. Started a fire in the basement, all, almost burned down the family home. Needless to say, I lost my chemistry set privileges for a couple of years after that. But but that's sort of my nature of experimenting. And when I read this article about the the need for doing making whiskey in for china i said ah oh, i could do that experimentation in my basement so yeah. there i was blowing stuff up again and that's that's sort of who i that am that is amazing yeah. Yeah. that's
0: uh, that's one of the most unique uh, stories of a little kid that i've heard so how about your parents
1: what did they say do you remember oh uh, well I, <laughs> I mean i can imagine oh i, but c- like I can basically. remember yeah that's why i lost my chemistry set yeah they yeah. were they were pretty angry with me and you know it's not the first time i got nor was it the last time i got in trouble but you know they they also encouraged you know my learning and and uh you know and experimentation they just didn't want me to burn down the family home or or hurt my siblings so i tried to stay away from that do you your know?
0: parents come from a background of any of this
1: uh, well, my dad was an electrical engineer. I mean, they both since passed. My mom, uh, my mom actually went. Both of them actually, they. Uh, my mom is from Cleveland, Ohio. That's the oh, connection. Wow. And my dad was from New Jersey. He had uh, served in World War II, came back, went to college. They they both met at what was then called Fenn College, now called Cleveland State. Hmm. Uh, as soon as they got married, though, they moved back to the East Coast. I had never really lived in Cleveland. Had some relatives here, uh, and it was only that my mom had moved back late in life, and uh, so my uh, uh, my late wife and I moved out here to care for her when she got ill, and wound up staying. Wound up to be a great place to stay.
0: Yeah, it's a manufacturing. It really hub, is. right? I mean, like yeah. right, right here where we're sitting, you've got a an incubator for startups in the manufacturing world. Did that did that help propel um, Cleveland whiskey and the you know? the proprietary kind of technology that you guys have from a manufacturing standpoint?
1: Yeah, it did. So it's interesting, you know, coming from Boston and working in some high tech and, and marketing consulting and marketing research there, uh, Boston is, a, I, and I love Boston, it's a great place to sort of uh, get funding for uh, real technology companies, biotech, software, and things like that. Uh, the good news is that here, even, even though I was positioning myself as a technology company it was manufacturing food manufacturing and uh so they were well i got some funding from some of the local you know institutions here and and uh uh, grant making units and things like that and uh uh, I'm not sure I could have done that in some of the other cities. I mean, I, I've worked in Seattle. I've worked out in New York City and Boston. I, I think they take a different perspective. Here, they were willing to uh, say, well, yeah, you're going to make a product that people consume, a consumer product. And they saw that differently. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's worked out for all of us. And it's worked out well. And, and everybody's been very supportive here. Sure. Too.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, we were meeting some of the guys earlier. You like, there you've gotten guys who work here that have chemical engineering degrees mm-hmm. from the local university. Yeah. You know, and pulling guys in. I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, you're surrounding yourself around some smart people. Yeah, this isn't just a science experiment in your basement. No, anymore. no, not anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> not anymore. No, and so uh, you guys have how many products do you guys have now? I mean, I've looked around. I've I've lost count
1: uh we have nine officially we have three more coming out in the next couple of months that's why i'm hesitating on the number but uh yeah i think october 1st we have three more that come out that's awesome
0: well i've thoroughly enjoyed my time here i'll be honest um i didn't know what to think about cleveland before i Mm -hmm. came here i'd never been here before um and i'm I'm thoroughly surprised i don't know what i was to expect but it was uh It's another Midwest state in Ohio, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but being right here by the lake, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a clean city. It's the people have been extremely friendly. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, they really have. been. I'm not Mm -hmm. just saying that because we're on a podcast. And so like I've because I've heard I had I'll be honest, I had some friends that were like didn't really enjoy Cleveland. Right. I'm like, not really sure what they're looking at. So I was, uh, I was surprised to hear this.
1: When when I first moved here, I would, uh, get phone calls from friends and, you know, I tell them I was in Cleveland and they say, well, when are you coming back? Or they'd say, well, you're not going to stay there. Are you? But I ultimately, I have them coming out here and they're taking a look at, you know, over the years they've come out. Some have made some investments here. Some have moved out here. I got, I finally convinced my son to move out here from Boston and, uh, he works for Cleveland whiskey now. Oh, wow. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it, it surprised me as well. I didn't know what to think either. And I thought I was gonna come here, stay. As my mom got better, we would move with her and she would move with us. Yeah. Instead, I said, wow, this, this is a great place. And tons of opportunity here, and uh, no matter what kind of business you're doing, and the people are friendly, and the resources are here, and we have fresh water, yeah. and that's going to be a bigger and bigger thing. You're not running out and, of that. And, uh, you know, so, uh, so it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. So I encourage anybody listening to this, if you're anywhere in the area or traveling here, come check out Cleveland Whiskey Distillery. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll be, I don't know if, I don't know if he'll show you the, the, the stuff on the back, but you can certainly you can certainly yeah. try some cool stuff and hear the stories.
1: Um, And we're building a new distillery. Oh, yeah. Talk about that real quick. So we have uh, a new distillery we're building. Actually, we're building it into a historic building. Uh, a building that was uh, I think first put up in the early 1900s. It was once a a fruit distribution company. Ice cars from California would come in and unload at that building and then trucks, early trucks and even some horses and and carts would pick up the fruit and it was part of a major distribution center. It's right on the river, beautiful location. Uh, It's gonna give us 20 times the capacity that we have now and that'll come online uh, in early 2022
0: you have a nice office in this building
1: that's the last thing I'm thinking of as an office <laughs> you know I, in, right? in, in, in fact uh, the exactly architects keep asking hear. me about architects or, or keep asking me about offices and it's like let's get all this other stuff underway we'll figure out the offices later yeah uh, and uh you don't need much space that's why i'm asking you because you don't seem like an office guy no we don't we don't need a lot of office space yeah yeah Yeah.
0: that's awesome that's awesome well you heard the man come out here and check it out especially when it's on the riverfront Mm -hmm. um that will be beautiful and um go to RackhouseWhiskeyClub.com. club.com if we put this out beforehand go check out the whiskey otherwise come out here and try some if it's in your state go online look it up see where you can get it from um very unique, and, I'm, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for your time today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you. Until next time.